Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I'm excited for this morning. It is going to be, it's already been a great morning. I've been praying for this, this morning all week long. And I pray for you guys all week long. But God never fails to show up. God never fails to show up when his people come with expectation. Our job is to come expecting God to show up. Our job is to come knowing that God is going to be amongst his people, knowing that his word is true. Today, we're, we are looking at Nehemiah chapter uh, 7. But in order to understand Nehemiah chapter 7, we're going to be looking in Nehemiah chapter 9 and Jeremiah 29. And... Today is a, is a really a cool, a cool group of scriptures because you get to see God's word fulfilled. You get to see prophecy fulfilled. And I feel like it would be an injustice to read Nehemiah chapter 7 without expanding on what it's talking about in Jeremiah 29. So the first group of scripture we're going to look at is Jeremiah 29. 10 through 14. As you guys are, obviously it's on the screen, but as you guys, some of you guys want to turn there, I just want to plug the car show one more time. Um, this, is, uh, this is such a huge opportunity for us to love our community. All we have to do is show up and love people and give them coffee. And I'm pretty sure most people's love language is coffee. So we're like hitting double fronts where we can give them coffee and love on them. And we are going to have water there. We're going to have music going for them. And we're, it's, it's not a C1 event. I want you to understand that. This car show is not about us. It's about how we can serve the people putting on the car show. And so we got to get this, this, this mindset of we got to love. We got to love people. I have a question. I'm going to just, this is bonus. Like, write down on the top of your notes, bonus. Ask myself this question every day. And it's a question that I think is very pointed, and I think is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Is there enough evidence in my life to be accused of being a friend of sinners? You're going to start with that, Pastor Ryan? Gosh, that's hard. Is there enough evidence in my life to be accused of being a friend of sinners? Because that's one of the very accusations that got Jesus killed. And I'm not talking about being friendly to sinners. I'm talking being a friend of sinners. Showing up and loving them, even though they don't look like you, don't smell like you, and they don't walk like you, talk like you, whatever. You just love them. And we're, that's what we're going to do. Man, and also there are beautiful cars. <laughs> like, it... There's, there's enough money and cars in that parking lot that day to build this building again <laughs> and pay it off. So, I mean, like, it's a cool, it's a cool show, car show. But we're going to jump right in. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. He's talking to the children of Israel. They got banished. They got, he sent them away. They, like, um, and he's talking about Israel, Judah and Israel, back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will 
Call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And you will and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. Notice that he banished them, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So I, I think <laughs> this is probably one of the most misquoted, it's not misquoted, but pulled out of context verses that we use for our Christian walk, and we write it on every graduate's card, every newly married card, every birthday card, like Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But when you understand the context of that verse, Nehemiah is writing to an exiled people that are still being exiled because, uh, and that was God's plans for them. He said, I carried you into exile. I, I banished you. And yet, Nehemiah's like, God's plans are good and not to harm me. Like, families were ripped out of their homes because they were conquered. So, I mean, I understand that parents write that on, uh, on graduates. They're kind of like, out the door, I'm banishing you just like God's, but I know the plans I have for you. You know, like, <laughs> but it's actually a beautiful thing. Because that statement, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, is a promise of God. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. And if you, that's, a, that's a promise that we can stand on, that we can hold to. Because the reality is there are going to be times when we feel like we're in exile, when we feel like we're banished. But God's promises are yes and amen, and, 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 and he doesn't go back on them. Now we're going to read, we're going to read, Nehemiah chapter 7, should be the next slide. It says, now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. They built the wall, it's done. They hung the doors, it's done. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been first to return. This is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from captivity of those whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramaniah, Nahamani, Mordecai. I'm, I'm telling you, you got to say it loud and proud. That wasn't loud and proud. I'm, I'll, I'll keep going. Bilshan, Mizpareth, Bigvay, Nehum, and Bana. Thank you, Jesus. It's over. So that's Nehemiah 7, 4 through 7. There's this list of men. And Jeremiah said, after 70 years, I will bring you back. Zerubbabel brought back at exactly year 70, he brought back the first group of exiles. If you keep reading Nehemiah chapter 7, which we will not do that, because all it is is a list of names, and you just saw what I did with nine names, so I'm not going to do that to you or myself, but it's a list of names of all the families that were brought back, and then a list of items. There were almost 50,000 people brought back during Nehemiah's time. 
What are you getting at, Pastor Ryan? I'm getting at the fact that when God says something, it will happen. I'm getting at the fact that God doesn't go back on his word if he's told you something. So Jeremiah prophesied this. He said, in 70 years, God will bring you back. Nehemiah actually didn't, or Jeremiah didn't actually get to see them come back. He was long dead. Jeremiah is a cool prophet. He's known as a weeping prophet. He prophesied during the reign of several kings. And the reason why he's known as the weeping prophet is because he prophesied, turn from the idols you're worshiping or God's going to exile you. And guess what? They kept worshiping idols thinking, that will never happen to us. And God's like, sayonara. He sent them into exile under Babylon. Like Nehemiah warned them, if you turn away, God won't do that. But it goes back to what God told Moses. He said, if you worship me, you'll get to dwell in the land. But if you don't worship me, then I'm going to remove you from the land. Then the last group of scripture I want to read real quick. Together, I have a few more. Is Nehemiah 9, 1 through 3. On October 31st, the people assembled again, and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Aren't you glad that we don't fast like that anymore? Like, we could just kind of go about our business. We don't have to make a show of it. Those of Israelites' descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the Lord, their God, was read aloud. So let's all stand. I got three hours of this material. I'm just playing it. Then, for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped their God. Why did you bring that up? Jeremiah prophesied. He said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. He prophesied a returning to God. He prophesied a hunger for God. And then we see it in Nehemiah chapter 9. Yeah, I jumped ahead a whole couple chapters, but I wanted us to understand when God says something. I also want us to understand the first thought I want to give you today. The first thought is God's discipline will better you. Why were the children of Israel in exile? They trespassed the law of God. They went against what God said. The, the, in God's Ten Commandments, is just the, the top ten of the law. The first five commandments are about our relationship with God. And, 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 and he says, you shall have no other idols. You shall worship God alone. Like, he explicitly said, you can't worship other things. And if you do, you don't get the promise. I want you to understand this in a very, in a, in a, in a very, this is loving. And anytime the Lord disciplines, it's always for our benefit. And to under, some of us have a confused definition of discipline and punishment. And we need to have clear understandings of the difference between God's discipline and punishment. Because God punishes sin. He disciplines us. There is a clear difference. So this is how I would define punishment and discipline. 
And by I, I mean this is the the definitions I literally made up. They're not in Webster's dictionary yet. I could not get them to copyright it. So um, I didn't try all that hard, just like three or 4,000 emails, but um, I'm, I'm joking. Punishment. Punishment is a reaction, sometimes knee-jerk reaction, rooted in anger or other emotions resulting in aggravation or resentment. If you guys have ever been punished, you probably ended up resenting the person punishing you or resenting the circumstance around the punishment. Discipline, however, is calculated with intent to teach. It has purpose and is rooted in love resulting in repentance. So I'm, I'm very intentional about how I discipline my daughter. Because if I react to her, then more than likely what's going to come out of me and flow out of me is not love, but punishment for what she's done because of the trespass that she committed to the rules. So that's why I think discipline has to be calculated with intent. I want to read you Hebrews 12, 5 through 8, real quick. It's not, it's not a slide. It says, And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. If you're going through it right now, God is doing something in you to create something in you. Anytime in the Bible, like for instance, we're about to read a scripture out of 2 Corinthians, and the reason why I have a lot of scripture today is because I don't want to get in the way of the word. And it just says it so clearly. Like, why add something? But Paul writes a letter, 1 Corinthians. He actually wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. We have two in the Bible. Two are canonized. The, the Holy Spirit led a group in the, early, in the early church to say these are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we have two letters canonized, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to the church in Corinth. Paul wrote, this was a problem church. If you ever read 1 Corinthians, you will understand why this was a problem church. Paul was having to tell them to expel an immoral brother who was sleeping with a stepmom. That's the problem. And he wasn't like keeping it secret. It was just out in the open, like everyone knew. He's like, get that out of your church. It's going to like contaminate the whole thing that's discipline sometimes paul god steps in and he removes people from the church okay but he always does that with intent of repentance in mind he always does that with intent of bringing back health so when we step into second corinthians Chapter 7, just four verses, 
you'll understand why Paul addressed this. And it actually gives you an, uh, a very clear depiction of why God's discipline of you is beneficial for you. It says, I am not sorry that I sent you the, that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. But now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret in, for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow lacks repentance. If you say you're sorry for an action, but you're not repentant, then you're not sorry. Biblical sorrow leads to repentance. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in death, in spiritual death. Just see this godly sorrow produced in you. Do you see it? Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, such readiness to punish wrong. Man, that sounds amazing. That's what God, I want God to produce that in me. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write you about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. You can see a father's heart all over this. And the, re the reality is God does discipline us. And he allows us to go through things that cultivate in us change. And Paul wrote a letter telling them to expel people from the church because of immoral behavior. He did that with the hopes that those people would repent and come back to Christ. Because Peter tells us that God is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowest, but he's willing that none perish and all come to repentance. God wants people to repent. God wants a relationship. He doesn't give up on anyone this side of heaven. But sometimes we have to be disciplined to understand the heart of God. Hebrews says, consider your trials as discipline because it produces in us a righteousness. I discipline my children because I love them. Discipline is rooted in love. And I discipline them because they trespass the rules that I have established in their life. If they, that, that inhibit their freedom. So they have rules that they trespass. Like, they have freedom, but they have rules. Like, how can you have freedom and rules? Well, let me ask you, how many of you guys feel like you're free? I'm going to raise my hand. Well, you can't go down to Walmart and take that 75-inch Samsung without paying for it. That's a rule. You can't go on Nashville Highway and drive 120 miles an hour to Spring Hill. That's a rule. We all have rules to operate within our freedom. And when we trespass or sin, sin means trespass, against the rules 
then there are consequences. And it actually, in trying to exercise the freedom that you think you're having, like, oh, this is bondage. I can't go 80 miles an hour in a 35 school zone. Oh, you know, like, you think it's bondage because they're setting a limit on what you can do. But in reality, they're keeping you from making a horrible decision that might harm someone else or yourself. And they're also keeping you from going to jail. So, when we lived in Sedalia, we had a very small front yard. And we would go outside. We liked to be outside. And my daughter, like, I don't know what it is about my, my daughter and my son at this age, or at, at my son's age. They both did this at, at like, 18 months age. But it's like the road was a giant magnet, and they were made out of steel. And we would go outside. We didn't have a huge yard. But we had enough yard for them to play in, and we had a big backyard and stuff. But they'd be like, oh, that's my road. You know, like, I'm not joking. And we'd be like, no, 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 no. You know, like, like you have to, like, you cannot, like, a rule. My son doesn't go outside alone. Well, technically my daughter doesn't either because there's creepers. But um, <laughs> just saying the truth. There are. So we had to constantly pull them, and every time they got close to the road, we like, no, do not go near the road. We wouldn't yell at them, but we would establish the parameters for their life. We would establish the rules. So now when we go outside, my daughter is four years old, or I'm less than a month away from being four, and um, she doesn't even go near the road. It's not even a temptation for her because we established the perimeters. She knows that as she goes to the road, she gets, she gets uh, in trouble. So, like, she, but the, the cool thing is now she understands because of that parameter, I have all this freedom of the yard. When, when, if you only look at the rules, then you don't understand your freedom. Because what my son doesn't understand, we have a huge yard now. And he can run to his legs are content. He can't run probably from here to that mic stand without falling over right now. But he'll pick himself up and he'll keep running. But the reality is he can run all he wants. I mean, like a ton. Like for him to run around our house is probably like a mile and a half at, those, at his height. He doesn't understand the freedom he has if he just turns around and quits looking at the road. So right now we're training him not to trespass or sin against that rule. Another trespass that we've established is, Sky, you don't get to yell at Daddy and Mommy and hit Bubba, okay? You know, we have to establish that. And when she trespasses that, there's consequences. That's me being a dad. The other day, just a funny story, Sky was using a rolling pin to roll out this, like, Play-Doh type stuff and everything. Well, Peyton's like, I want to play like Sissy. He loves to play with his Sissy. And, but how he used the rolling pin was Sky was laying on the couch watching Lion King, and he had it like this. <laughs> and he, he walloped her right across her head. I heard this blood-hurtling scream, and I ran in there, and he was going for round, he was going for round two. And... Uh, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I ran up, and I, I went to catch it. 
And because uh, I, I put my body over her and I went to gr- grab the rolling pin I missed and he hit my forearm. I was like, no wonder she's crying. I'm crying. You know, like, ah, you know, this hurts. Um, Peyton's still learning the rules. He got his hand swatted. Mommy took care of him. But I don't love to discipline my children. I don't love to spank them. I don't love to have those hard talks with them. But I do love them, so I do. God loves the children of Israel enough to say, if you don't serve me and you keep serving those idols, I am going to send you into exile, away from your home, away from your families, away from everything. Because I love you enough not to leave you the way you are. God loves you enough not to leave you in the circumstance you are, not to leave you the way you are, so he disciplines. His form of discipline is not our form of discipline, but he uses circumstances to teach us. Some of us know, and some of us have been there, that nothing on earth could teach us anything until we hit the bottom. Some of us have family, like we've been trying to love on them, we've been trying to point them to Jesus, and nothing on earth is getting it You discipline them well and everything, but they're just not getting it. How God disciplines, though, is he allows us to go through it. And I've noticed, and just in my own family, my sister went through it. You've heard her story. I'll share a brief, but she did a ton of drugs. She fully rebelled. She spit in my mom's face, said, I want nothing to do with your God. She dabbled in the occult, but now she's a born-again Christian. After 20 years... 20 plus years of my family praying for her salvation. It didn't matter if I got up and preached to her in the face till I was blue at the gills. It wasn't doing anything. She had to hit bottom till she couldn't go down any further. So she looked up and realized that there's a loving God that cares for her and that he didn't waste any moment in her life. He didn't waste anything. The drug she did, God doesn't waste it. God doesn't waste those experiences, and he taught her a lesson. Guess what? She's drug-free. She's, she's alcohol-free. She's smoke-free. She's on fire for God. She's mentoring. She's involved in ministry. God doesn't waste anything. But sometimes it takes us hitting bottom because the, the reality is the fall, the fall is fun. Like I used to go, I used to go in Arkansas and jump off of cliffs there was water below me. I'm not that much of a more. I mean, like, that's, it's still stupid, but I, I used to jump off of cliffs a lot. And there's an adrenaline rush. Like, I would jump off 100-foot cliffs into water. And um, there's a couple times where it scared me because I jumped off and I was leaning forward and my feet weren't together. And it, it, I thought I was going to die. It knocked my breath out, and when you jump from that height, you go like 30 foot under the water. Like, you, you go, because I, I never went head first, but you pencil. But there comes a point where at that point, you have, to, you have to try to get up. You have to try to get up. But the cool thing is, God's like that water. He helps you. He pushes you up. He pushes you up. And sometimes hitting rock bottom hurts. It does. There's been a couple times where I've jumped into water and the water wasn't deep enough and my knees, not my knees, my ankles hit and it jarred me all the way up. I was like, oh, now I have to swim up 20 feet. You know, like this stinks. (laughs) But 
God disciplines us through our experiences. And some of us don't need to walk away to experience things that are bad. But Hebrews tells us to consider it joy. James tells us to consider it joy. And you see this beautiful picture, Jeremiah prophesying, saying you guys are in exile, but this is what God said he would do, but he's doing this because he loves you, because he doesn't want you worshiping the bell or the Asherah. He doesn't want you turning away. He doesn't want you worshiping other things. So God will allow you to go through things to get his eyes back on you. And he's relentless in that. He disciplines differently. When I discipline my daughter, I discipline her so she follows the rules. God disciplines us to have a relationship. Like, I want to have a relationship with my daughter, obviously. But God disciplines us to make us fall more in love with him. And that's a beautiful part about the discipline of God, is the more he disciplines us, the more we become like him. Because God's discipline establishes God disciplines. I'm going to say that again. God's discipline establishes God disciplines. Prayer, devotion, witnessing. Because the more he disciplines us and we allow him. This is the thing. Like, we have to allow him to discipline us. We have to sometimes take our hard hat off and our hard head off and say, okay, God, I'm ready to listen. Because he'll, you'll just keep hitting bottom. You, you'll, you'll climb up a little bit, and you'll hit bottom again. You'll climb up a little bit, and you'll hit bottom again. You'll climb up a little bit. And then eventually something's going to have to give. It's not going to be the bottom. But if we allow God to discipline us, it will develop in us the disciplines of God. And it will change us. Paul hits on it right there. He says, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sad that I wrote you because see what it created, see what, it, what godly sorrow produced in you? Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, that's holy anger. That's not just anger, that's holy anger. Such alarm, such longing, such zeal, such a readiness to punish wrong. If Paul wouldn't have wrote a fatherly letter to the Corinthian church, those qualities, those disciplines of God would not have been produced in them. So if you're going through it right now, know that God's producing in you right now. If you've gone through it, know that it wasn't wasted. I guarantee you, if you look back on the trials of your life, you can see and probably pull out multiple things of what God his grace was there and what he produced in you. Like, I'll never do that again. It's like, God's like, good. I don't want you to do that again. You know, like, that's what he does, though. He disciplines those he loves. And the second thought I want to leave you with today is God's promises about you will take place. Jeremiah prophesied 70 years would pass. And 70 years to the day passed, and Zerubbabel brought back the first exiles. And then Nehemiah and, and Mordecai and all the other names I can't pronounce, they kept bringing back exiles that were carried off into exile because they turned away from God. But God heard their cry in exile because their hearts, while they were in exile, 
turned back, and God promised. He knew how long it would take. For instance, I'll send my, I'll send my daughter to time out. And usually about a good 10-minute time out is about how long it takes for her attitude to adjust and her to see things from my point of view. Sometimes it takes longer, but I'll say, Sky, I'm going to set a timer. Ten minutes, you have to go sit on your bed. And she'll go in there, I don't want to sit on my bed and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, you're lucky. You're, <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to discipline her. I don't want to punish her. So she'll go in there and sit down. Ten minutes will come out. She's like, Daddy, I love you. I just want to play. Do you want to play with me? I'm like, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's what God did. He essentially put the children of Israel in time out for 70 years to change their attitude towards him. So suddenly the very, I want us to catch this. The very law they trespassed, the very law they sinned against, the very law that sent them into exile, they stood and worshiped under you want to talk to me about a change of heart? They stood for three hours of the law. The, the law was read aloud, worshiping God. And then they just stood for three more hours because they could, worshiping God. They had zeal. They had passion. They wanted to serve the living God. And they said, and, and then they repented of their mistakes and their ancestors' mistakes. They said, God, I don't want to do what they did. We want to worship you and you alone. The law that they trespassed was the very law they worshiped under because they understood the freedom that was under the law. The rules that the Lord has placed in our life, these, these like sins, trespasses, they're, they're, they're for our good. He says, don't do that because I love you. God's promises about you will take place. He says, he says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, and we hit on this a couple weeks ago. I, I just want to read it. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, which means so be it, so through him, the so be it is spoken by us to the glory of God. Have you caught that? So I'm going to read it real quick. It's in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Thousands. Just read the Bible. They're all over the Bible. I mean, Ephesians alone has tons of promises. Philippians alone has tons of promises. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to God. So what does that mean? God, you are my healer. That's a promise. I say amen, so be it. God, you're my provider. That's a promise. I say amen, so be it. God, you are, you say you have good plans for me. I say amen, so be it. If God said it, it's not a matter of if it will happen. It's a matter of when it will happen. I want you to grab that. Like, you don't have to sit back and say, well, that might happen. Well, um, the, church, the church might grow. Yeah, we might make an impact in the community. No. God says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is going to grow his church. 
whether we're involved or not. And what I say is, we're going to be involved because the Lord placed me here as shepherd, so we're going to go about the things of God. And we're going to grow the church for God's kingdom. And we're going to make an impact because God said it. It's, just, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It's just going to happen. You can take it to the bank. You can deposit it in your account. If God said it, it will happen. Stand on that promise. Hold to that promise. God is not one that he should lie. As the Bible says, let God be true and all other men a liar. God is going to do what he says he's going to do. If the Lord said he's going to heal you, then he's going to heal you. If the Lord said he's going to provide for you, then he's going to provide for you. If the Lord said he's going to save your family, then he's going to save your family. It's a done deal. So quit worrying about it and start thanking God for it. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. I forget that I get an angry face when I get serious. I'm excited, guys, because of what God's going to do. If God said it, it will happen. Jeremiah prophesied the return of the exiles 70-plus years before they ever returned. If you keep reading in Jeremiah 29.11, the Lord says, um, he, he's like, uh, keep reading Jeremiah 29 and the surrounding chapters. The Lord's like, hey, go buy houses. Go live your life in exile. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bless you there. I'm going to bless you while you're going through discipline. That's the cool thing about God. As he disciplines us, he still blesses us. God still shows up supernaturally in our lives as he's changing us. That's the, that's the amazing thing. My daughter would say, I probably don't bless her. I don't give her a lollipop and say, go to time out. But that's what God does. He sends us to, to he, he, he sent the Israelites to captivity and then he blessed them while they were in captivity. And so they came back on fire because God shows his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So no matter what we go through in life, God loves us. No matter what season we find ourselves in, God loves us. If he's disciplining you, he loves you and he wants to bless you. If, if, if he's not disciplining you, he loves you and he wants to bless you. That's who God is. That's the nature of who he is. God loves you. And in closing, I want to, I want us to make a transition in our mind. A quick transition. I need us to switch between knowing to believing. Because when I say God's promises about you will take place, I, I'm not going to take a poll or a census. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But I imagine there is a lot of us in here that go, I know. But you know what else? You know who else knows? The enemy. And I can know something. I, uh, this, this is the difference between knowing and believing. I can know something. And if someone comes to me and shows me evidence what I know is wrong, I will change my belief system. Like, if I believe the world is flat, which I don't, I'm not crazy. And if you're a flat earth society person, let's talk. We'll just Google it. Um, but you, you walk up and you say, hey, look, this is like pictures of our earth and it's clearly not flat. And I would be like, oh, wow. This is, you know, me. I'm like, okay, well, I need to change what I know because what I know is wrong. You can convince someone who knows something that what they know is wrong. 
But you know how hard it is to convince someone that believes something? Do you know how hard it is to convince someone that believes that they, that, that beyond everything that they're right, that this is true? You can't convince them. It takes an act of God to convince them. That's what God wants. There's an 18-inch gap between our head and our heart, and God needs to get our knowledge from our head to our heart. We all know that God's promises are yes and fulfilled in Christ. We all know that he's our provider. We all know that he's our healer. We all know that he's our redeemer. We all know. But the question is, do we believe? And I'm not saying you don't, but I'm saying this is something I have to ask myself a lot because there are times in life that really shakes me. When my kids get sick, man, that shakes me. When my wife was sick last year and having all sorts of problems, I thought there was one point I took her to the hospital. I'm holding my three-week-old son I'm saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't do it. And she's having these, I thought she was having a heart attack and they wheel her back. And I'm praying, God, you say you're our healer. So heal. And they came back and said, we can't find anything. Like, okay. God, you proved yourself faithful. There are times in life, well, it'll shake your knowledge. But it's those times when we got to dig down into our belief. I believe that God is good, and he does good things, and he's for me, and he's not against me, that he's unstoppable. I believe. And when we believe, it will change. It will change the course of our life. It will change how we pray. It will change what, what we stand on in Scripture. It will change how we stand on Scripture. It won't just be, yes, God, that's who you are. You're going to start saying, greater is he who is in me. So Satan, you get your hands off my wife right now. In the name of Jesus, you have no authority. She is bought with the, like, those are the prayers. I'm walking back and forth with a two-week-old. And I'm like, people are probably thinking, that guy is insane. Uh, he goes to a Pentecostal church. We can tell. Okay. I'm, I'm just walking back. And like, But that's what I'm doing. We have to believe. So know this. God's promises about you will take place. God's promises about the church will take place. We got to stand in unity and agreement and declare them. Declare them. Declare them. Stand in unity and agreement and declare them. With every head bowed. Every eye closed. If you're, if you're here today and you've never, maybe you know God, you know all about Jesus, but you've never placed your belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You've never said, Jesus, I need you to come into my heart, forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's, 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 it's as simple as God forgive me I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. And the Bible says something happens at that point. The Bible says 
that we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. If you never placed your belief in Jesus Christ, what I need you to do when we respond in a moment, I need, need you to come forward. If there's going to be other needs that come forward, just come forward. And the joys of my life is when I introduce people to Jesus. There is nothing that, <laughs> that trumps that. When I introduce people to Jesus, whether here or down on the square or in Walmart, I love introducing people to Jesus. So if that's you, I need you to respond.